welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, journalist Helen Fospero. As Britain prepares to host the United Nations Climate Change Conference COP26 in Glasgow next month, plastic pollution will, one would hope, be high on the agenda. It's shocking to learn that more than 400 million tonnes of plastic are produced every year. 10 million tonnes end up in our oceans with just 10% recycled. Plastic Oceans International is a non-profit organisation started in the United States dedicated to ending plastic pollution and fostering sustainable communities around the world. And today I'm delighted to be joined from Malibu in California by their CEO, Julie Anderson. Julie, thank you for finding time to join us and from such a beautiful location. I guess living there, there's probably not a day goes by when you don't appreciate the beauty of our oceans. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Helen. It's great to be here. And as you said, it is gorgeous being here in Malibu. We get the ocean and can appreciate it. And we're always impacted by climate change and pollution. And it does constantly, it's a constant reminder of what we need to protect and how we're impacted by our human habits. Those statistics that I just read out in the introduction should really come, I guess, as a wake-up call to all of us. Can you give us a sense, Julie, of how bad the current situation is and what it means if we don't urgently do something to remedy it? The reason that we continuously use the statistics of how much plastic we're producing, and then we also pair it with how little we're recycling, is just showing how we we continuously are producing something that is going straight into landfill or or straight into waste. And there is no way to recover that. We are continuously using virgin resources, making products to be just thrown away, and there is no recovery in it. What this means is that we are creating an unlimited, an infinite amount of waste um, that continues to go back into our environment, pollute it with the chemical concentrations of it, as well as the just sheer volume of waste without any consideration of how it's going to ever go away without it going away. When you describe it like that, you can just imagine the planet overflowing with this kind of waste, which essentially it is. And if you look at some of the images on your Instagram, it's horrific when you see what we are creating and what we're all creating often on a daily basis by just going to the supermarket and getting our groceries. How damaging to the planet is single-use plastic? Fundamentally, the thing about plastic is it does not go away. And then I, the thing, humans, we, we like to think out of sight, out of mind. But plastic, what it does is it simply, it is a human made material. When it does break down, it continues to break down into something that is still a plastic particle and it doesn't go away. And the best example of it is if you take water and you dissolve salt in your cup of water. You don't see the salt, but you can taste it. The salt is still there. It doesn't go away. And the same thing is happening with plastic. And with that plastic comes the micro particles, the microplastics, the small bonds of plastic, but also the chemicals that are associated with plastic that give it its characteristics. And those chemicals end up getting into the environment and it gets into our bodies, it gets into the animals that we depend on, that we, you know, part of the food chain. And over time, we are now, we're adding 400 million tons a year. We just simply cannot handle the concentration of the toxic chemicals and the bonds of plastic. And give us some examples of the threat it poses to our oceans, Julia, and also to our sea life. 
There are, from this large size of plastics that we find that are being dumped into the ocean or finding its way into the ocean, plastic bags, straws, fishing nets that are all made of plastic, these large pieces of plastic end up being consumed by whales and dolphins that open their mouths, they take in tons of water, and they simply cannot filter big chunks of plastic, so it goes into their stomachs and they basically starve themselves. They die of starvation. Then there's also the entanglement. They get entangled within these plastic pieces, and those are the large pieces. And once these plastics break down because of the sun and the currents and the salt, they turn into smaller and smaller pieces of plastic called microplastics. These smaller pieces of microplastic actually cannot be separated from the very important microorganisms found in the ocean. So what's happening is these small pieces of plastic are being consumed by smaller fish, by coral. The coral, people forget that coral, they're animals and they're being consumed by the coral. And the chemicals that are within those small pieces of plastic transfer from the plastic into these organisms, into these animals, and they're toxic and kill these animals, or they just continue to pass up the food chain, and then ultimately into humans as we're at the top of the food chain. So this becomes just a huge chain of events of how toxic plastic can be. We interviewed for the podcast series uh, record-breaking yachtswoman Dee Kafari. She was, among many of her accolades, she was the first woman to sail solo the wrong way around the world. And that was against prevailing winds as opposed to taking a wrong turn. But she was telling me that at Point Nemo, when the nearest human being to her was in the International Space Centre, the fish are contaminated there by, I think, those tiny bits of plastic that you talk about. So that's such a long way away. And if it's in our food chain all that way away, then it just shows the situation that we're in. And I just wonder, Julie, what will happen if as individuals and consumers and businesses, we don't take action and take action really, really quickly? If we don't take action, I mean, we are killing ecosystems. I mean, they're dying off and we are dependent, humans are dependent on these ecosystems. And fundamentally, we will just have... I mean, the, the worst case scenario is that we simply will not have drinkable water. We will have deaths to certain ecosystems that other ecosystems are dependent on. And we may not even fully understand the, those relationships, those very critical relationships. And when certain ecosystems in the Pacific die out and when there's absolutely no life there, they are considered dead waters and people often don't realize that you can have a lake or you can have rivers that are considered dead because no life can survive in them and that is a, a trigger it's a domino effect of dependent life thereafter and if you have these ecosystems dying how do we all survive where do we get our food where do we get our clean water where do we grow our f food it starts to contaminate our food our air and we're just not taking it seriously enough to where we need to stop this and start to recognize the importance of it. It seems that we only see within our sight line of what's important and what's happening. It's just catastrophic. So how do you begin to get that message across and to get it across in a way that everybody starts to make a difference? Because presumably that's one way of making a difference globally if we all individually take more responsibility. 
it's a global crisis when it comes to plastic pollution and how it is affecting not only our oceans, but it's all of our water systems, air and soil. And it is daunting as an individual to feel as if your personal decisions are affecting on a global scale. We all have our daily lives and our families and we already feel like we have enough problems to solve and making the decision between putting your sandwich in a plastic bag for your kid or not just feels overwhelming. And so what we do is we target our homes. Like when you start to feel as if you're in your community and you can see your personal habits affecting your community, it's a lot more manageable um, task. It doesn't feel so overwhelming. So we do focus a lot on the power of an individual and their community. As humans, I think we only can control and care as much as we can see and feel that our choices are impacting. And that's within our community rather than making individuals feel they have to care about every single country and ecosystem and continent. So it is very much staying local and fixing your problems locally. And from that, when you start to see sustainable changes made in communities, you start to see the ripple effect of larger scale sustainable change globally. Can you take us around the world, if you like, and just give us a few examples of some of the most inspiring projects that you're involved in in different countries? One of our communities that we worked with, Campeche, Mexico, it's in the Yucatan, and it was first started off as a turtle project, working with kids, working with the students in the different schools in the area, helping to keep the beaches clean and protecting the turtle habitat so that their population would continue to grow. And many people have seen the impact of plastic on turtles. There was a viral video of a straw and a turtle's nose being pulled out, which went viral and it was horrific to see, but it really engaged people into protecting turtles and seeing that connection between plastic pollution and turtles. And from there, we started educating the different schools and their parents started coming out for beach cleanups. And the community started saying, well, what can we do? We don't have access to other goods. Not everyone has access to a Whole Foods or these type of brands that offer alternative materials. And there was another local organization that we partnered with and they started a zero waste farmer's market type of situation, which then started communities and individuals started adding to the farmer's market and creating businesses and products that they could afford and have access to. And so what you started seeing is these community, it's not only building businesses, it's building affordable access to new materials. There was new education within the community. And next, the local city government started getting involved and how they could help with reducing plastic pollution, how they could implement some of the education models to spread to other members of the society. So what we started to see is this sort of natural growth of sustainable communities, like taking part in how they could make changes and support each other and their own culture and economic systems already in place, because you have to work within what systems you have. So it's been really wonderful to see turtle preservation grow, our education programs within our the different schools grow. And from there, we've also, because it started to serve as a role model community, we now have six other communities within the Yucatan. 
from Akumal and Tulum and it just continue to grow because they see what's happening. They see that there is growth and change within one community. So that's in Mexico. We also have down in Chile, we have in Santiago, we have a branch office in Plastic Oceans down in Santiago. But we've also seen the same thing, working with these local groups within the fishing communities. Our office got more involved with the advocacy and advocacy side becoming part of the Chile Plastic Pact. It's one of these rare country or impacts going against plastic pollution. And they were very much part of all of these small communities started getting on board, understanding the impact of plastic within their fishing industry, how that's impacting their fishing industry and their economy. And Plastic Oceans was the first organization to really push for a country single-use plastic ban, countrywide. Gosh, I really, didn't know that. That's amazing. It, besides Costa Rica, it's one of the only countries that have had a countrywide single-use plastic ban. And it wouldn't have happened without individual communities truly understanding how it's impacting their economic systems, their cultural systems, and ecosystems. And with their support, once they learned how it was going to impact them, they got on board and really supported this. And so now you have this amazing country with a huge coastline supporting this. And so those are a couple of examples of just how you start locally, you can see these little changes, but then they turn into real large scale changes. Julie, it makes absolute sense how you're powering communities and, you know, giving them the opportunity to see how they can make a difference. But what really frustrates me, certainly here in Britain, is our plastic use in the supermarkets. I get frustrated that you can go to one particular shop and you can buy loose carrots or side-by-side carrots in plastic, loose avocados or avocados in plastic. I think the supermarkets have a great responsibility to say no more to the producers. And if you want us to stock your goods, it's minus plastic. And then you get to the till. Nine times out of 10, I remember to take some fabric bags. But I can't help thinking that while plastic is still there, there are many people who will still just pay their 10 pence and use the plastic. Do we need to see much more action from big business too? Absolutely. And they go hand in hand. And I obviously share your frustration with it just seems so easy if it was just banned. And if plastic was banned, if producers were just given the requirement of absolutely do not pack use single use packaging, and that's what we push for. But there is the uphill battle of the demand by consumers. There was a recent study by a company that does provide recyclable cardboard packaging for berries. So many times berries are found in those plastic clamshells and they wanted to replace them because you have less than 100 berries, 50 berries, and you have this massive plastic packaging. But they found that most consumers just won't buy it out of a cardboard container because you cannot see them. We've been trained to see things, and there are consumer habits and behaviors that demand certain products and certain packaging. And the thing about plastic for consumers is there's a hygiene 
green aspect to it. People have this belief that it's cleaner if it's in plastic packaging or you get better product if you can see through it and see it. So there is a component of consumer education and awareness to start demanding it and not go the other way. And that's where as communities, it does serve us to start educating our consumers or as individuals be educated so that we don't demand the alternative. One of your big pieces of work, obviously, is to raise awareness and also cause social change by inspiring people to rethink plastic. But how powerful are films, and I'm thinking of short films, in getting the message across? What we have continued to try to do is make films that are along the lines originally with documentaries, traditional documentary formats and short pieces that put in information. And that's been beneficial in terms of educating the population. A lot of times it still tends to reach like-minded people where these shorter films that have more of a human characteristic or human quality to it, those tend to reach outside of our silo. It feels like I could relatable and tends to inspire people to pick up a tidbit of information here and there to try to push for behavioral changes, social changes. And that's been really critical. We've been working with films with a one group of filmmakers called Conservation Comedy. And the idea behind that is, does environmentalism and does this type of activism require only seriousness of the traditional documentaries? Or can we approach this with a little bit of lightheartedness and comedy in terms of self-reflection of how crazy some of our habits are really from a different perspective. And I think that what you've touched on with the plastic bags, surely we can use something else, you know, 10 pence, 5 cents here. It it makes really no difference. But yet we seem to be very stuck in our ways as if we can't change. But sometimes from a comedic type of perspective, it is a little bit crazy what we end up doing. And that's what we're trying to continue to push that perspective and challenge our perspective so that we can make change a little bit easier. I got a little bit addicted actually looking at some of the short films you've made and they are documentary quality and they are endearing and heartwarming and funny and all a bit different. And there were a few I picked out just to talk to you about. One of them which really pulled on my heartstrings was one called Our Plastic Beach featuring a young girl and her grandmother. Tell us a little bit about that story. It's a story with really the bond between a grandmother and a granddaughter who is, you start a habit through a relationship, a relationship that is meaningful and something that you can care about. So it's not a relationship with the beach necessarily or about plastic, cleaning the beach, but it really starts off as what is important in that relationship and to those two individuals. And it is their relationship. Then it's the habit of going for walks on the beach and then starting to clean what they love and clean something that is related to their relationship. And in that process, and as even when that relationship fades, it continues. Like, And then the habit of their cleaning the beach, once the grandmother passes away, it continues going forward and passing on to the next generation because it is a reminder of something that was near and dear to them. It's a very powerful film. I thought it was really magical. And I've also watched the trailer for your documentary set on the Skeleton Coast in Namibia, which is somewhere that I really, really want to visit. It looks so spectacular and beautiful. Tell us a bit about Cutting the Line and the seals that really were the stars, I suppose, of that trailer anyway. 
The film's called Cutting the Line. Along the Skeleton Coast in Namibia, there is a big fishing industry. And it's even called Skeleton Coast because of the fishing industry. A lot of the boats tend to get caught on the coastline there, leaving a lot of ship skeletons along the coast. But because of the fishing industry, you're getting lots of fishing net released in within the waters and they're dumped in the, they're cut and because they're floating around that area many many seals are entangled in them and they suffer these horrible deaths and painful cuts on their body and they're being treated as collateral damage in a fishing industry that Namibia depends upon economically and what we're trying to highlight we're not trying to dismiss all of the fishing industry and put an end to the fishing industry, but we need to put in regulations and management and waste management in terms of how the fishing industry is allowed to just cut their lines and dump their waste in the ocean without any recourse or there's no management. Nobody's keeping an eye on it. There is no recourse. There's no economic incentives for them not to do it. There's no penalties when they do. There's no jail time. But yet at the same time, they continue their business with thousands and thousands of seals being harmed in really terrible, terrible ways. And so what we're doing is really highlighting that lack of regulations on the fishing industry and how the community is helping to highlight that. My other favourite was The Swimmer featuring 90-year-old Walter in New York and how every day he swims in the sea. It helps after his wife's passed and with his mental health. And there wasn't any pollution particularly that you saw in that film. I thought it was just a beautiful piece that showed us really why 8 million pieces of plastic shouldn't be finding their way into our ocean every day. That's such another shocking statistic. But when you see the seals, I think, you know, obviously it touches all of us when you see the seals in the documentary trailer that you were just talking about. But what really caught my attention the other day was an image that you had on your Instagram, I think it was, of a seahorse tethered to a face mask, a COVID blue face mask. And I think that resonates with all of us at the moment, because obviously we've all been battling our way through the pandemic. How damaging have the face masks been and how many of those have found their way into the oceans and are causing problems for our wildlife? There's estimates between one and five million masks are released into the environment on a daily basis now worldwide. And you just think it's easy to walk around and you see, we all see now one or two masks within our neighborhoods. Almost it doesn't matter what neighborhood, there will be one or two masks somewhere. And it doesn't seem that big of a deal. You think, oh, it's only one mask. But you, we live in a world with seven billion people. We're all suffering from the pandemic with masks. And there are masks being released everywhere. Even those that we throw into the rubbish bins that are on the top, the wind blows them away. So there is just mismanagement in how our waste is being handled. And one to five million a day is just un. What are we going to do? They're getting tangled. They blow into the trees, into the bushes. They get entangled around birds' necks. They get 
entangled on their feet. And what it really means is like, we need to look at how we manage our waste and how do we really keep even the waste that we think we are managing as individuals, we are putting it into bins. How do we manage it when it is blown away from the top of a bin? How do we manage it once it's put into a truck and blows off when it's driving down the street? It seems minor. It seems like, oh, it's only one, two, three masks here and there, but they add up and they all end up in the same location in our environment to break down, to entangle animals, to break down into microplastics and really create this larger scale problem that we have with global plastic pollution. I think I saw a statistic, 1.5 billion face masks found their way into our oceans in 2020 alone, which is a staggering one. You have some inspiring ambassadors as part of Plastics Oceans helping you along the way, and including the actor Matthew Modine. And I had no idea, actually, that he was such a passionate environmentalist. How does he help you and how important is it having people like that on board? He's been incredible in terms of really helping us within the industry of using film and really getting the messages across in different ways, connecting different filmmakers and creative people into this space that we're embarking on. And it really is so critical to get all types of creative minds thinking along this movement because Ending plastic pollution isn't going to come with one engineer solution, innovation to end it. It needs a mindset, a change in terms of how we approach pollution and managing our ways, our habits, our personal habits, and where it goes in terms of managing of waste. He's been critical in bringing creative types to really make these different films and think a little bit differently and continue to push us outside of the traditional documentary format and start thinking in these creative ways. He has a background in marine biology, and that's really where his passion stems from. And being a surfer from San Diego, he really has, it's in his blood and it's in his core beliefs and really push and protect the environment in a holistic way. And it's been incredible to have people with it, especially here in LA and and from the Hollywood scene to really start to see the influence and the power that Hollywood has in terms of playing a role in climate change and all of the pollution and all of these global issues that we face. As an individual, Julie, is there a lot of pressure on you with a title at the top of an organisation like this? None of us are holier than thou. I just wonder how you live your life and whether it's possible to be always plastic free or do you sometimes buy your berries in a plastic clamshell, I guess I'm asking? (laughs) The one thing that everyone does around me is they immediately apologise for anything any plastic that they're using. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to have, even if it's their vitamins and it's in a plastic container, they apologize for it. And I immediately say it is not possible. That is just serving the point that it is almost impossible to live zero plastic lifestyle. Throw in certain conveniences. And if you travel, if you have kids, as far as I'm concerned, it's very virtually, it's impossible. And that's why our message is it is not about us all ending plastic and going back to a 
caveman time of zero plastic and zero waste, but it is about looking at our system and changing the way that we systemically work within our system. And that requires individuals, consumers to start thinking differently about their products, to not think of it, oh, I just need this for my convenience, but really seeing every product as where did this come from and where is it going? Did it come from halfway around the world and it created that much more of a carbon footprint just to get to your plate? And when it goes away, is it even possible to be recycled in your neighborhood? We send water bottles, Coke bottles to islands that have zero waste management when it comes to recycling. And it may be recycled here in Los Angeles, but it cannot be recycled 50 miles away. And and it really gets the consumer to think, where does it come from? Where is it going to go? And that is the mindset that we are trying to instill on consumers. And then on a producer perspective, we need producers to be on our side. To your point, why do they continue to wrap everything in plastic? Why can't you have a loose bunch of carrots? And that becomes our mission to really advocate for policies that incentivize and also tax these producers when they do make the decision to wrap things in plastic. And that makes it easier for consumers to have the choice between plastic and no plastic. Often when I interview guests for the podcast series, Julie, I know their background, they're often connections or contacts of mine from 30 years. Actually, I don't often admit it's 30 years, more than 25 years as a broadcaster. But it's quite fun to talk to you today because obviously I fully understand what you're trying to achieve in your working life, but I actually don't really know anything about you at all. And it'd be lovely if you would just share a little bit about who is Julian? How did this big passion come along? And how have you ended up doing what you're doing for a living now? So my background is in biochemistry and public health. I've worked in the space of always believing that scientific information needs to get to people (laughs) to make better health decisions. And those health decisions not only for our own personal human health, but also for the health of the environment as we coexist. And I've worked in that space of trying to, what I've called medical communications of really how do we take the science as it comes out, because it is not black and white, it is continuously growing the information. How do we share that information with people so they can make more informed decisions? I worked in Asia for 10 years. I worked in Tokyo doing medical communications for a year and a half. And I also then moved to Hong Kong and where I lived for seven years. And when I was in Hong Kong, there was a cargo ship, a cargo container. And on that container ship, it said Sinopec. Sinopec is a Chinese oil company. Oil companies also make the pre-production pellets, plastic pellets. And those pre-production pellets are called nurdles and they're used for the basis of all plastic production. You take those nurdles, you add in other chemicals and you get a plastic bottle, you get car parts, you get whatever type of plastic you're making. This cargo ship carrying dozens and dozens of containers of these tiny plastic pellets that look like white fish eggs was going past Hong Kong. And there was a typhoon. The typhoon toppled this ship over. All the containers spilled and the beaches of Hong Kong looked like it snowed. It looked like snow everywhere. And that was the visible nurdles on the shoreline not to mention the millions and billions of those little plastic pellets in the ocean. 
what I learned that day, so I witnessed this, what I saw is that as the ship righted itself and sailed off, I thought, they'll be back to help clean. But it was then that I learned that once oil is turned into plastic, they have no responsibility for cleanup because it is considered non-hazardous. If it was an oil spill, I mean, if it was their oil, they would have had that responsibility. At that time, I thought, oh my gosh, I guess maybe a little bit of an ego. I thought, gosh, but I don't know this. How does anybody else know this? And I also witnessed and took part in the cleanups in Hong Kong and saw the power of community from a social media page that was created by a local organization, a call to action for people to come out, help clean up. Hundreds, thousands of people came up with their kitchen sieves and homemade devices to just clean the beaches. And all of this attention and community activism really raised awareness for the media to take part. It put a lot of pressure on Sinopec, which out of guilt were forced to send their people to help clean up. And over a year or two years after, you're seeing government policies being implemented for single-use plastic and responsibility on the producer. So this really was just the start of community action and how much of an impact it had. Real meaningful impact from that moment. And that's how I got into plastic pollution. And that was in 2012. And from there, I just then moved on. And I thought I have to take part in this. This is a global problem. And I think that we all hold the power of making change in our communities. And may I ask you, Julia, are you a mum as well? Do you have children? I am. I am a stepmom of a 28-year-old and a 10-year-old. <laughs> wow. And so presumably you pass the message on as best you can, or, or are they educating you in a way? It's interesting. With a 28-year-old, I'm educating him. And it's interesting because I think he's a little bit older, so it's not the environmental movement is not as strong when he was going through school. Whereas my 10-year-old, it's very interesting seeing how much more aware they are of environmental practices and habits. And it's incredible to see. I mean, it's mandatory. It's part of their habit to always carry a reusable container. The schools have refill stations. It's more cool to be environmentally friendly and to do reusables and talk about environmental protection and animal protection. And so it's interesting to hear the difference. 18 years is a big age difference, but at the same time, they're still young to me, but how different their perspectives of the world are. My 10-year-old is a walking activist, and so he's probably hears me more often than not preaching about the meaning of the importance of protecting the environment and how detrimental a lot of human impact is and how to reduce waste. So, big difference. So we are just preparing ourselves for COP26, Julie. And just a sort of final thought really from you, when you go to bed at night, how optimistic do you feel that it isn't too late and that we are making progress and that we can behave differently and stop some of the dreadful damage that's already been done? I only have optimism. I, I don't see how we cannot do something. It's either we wait for our death or we actually act. And I see both sides. Oh, there's nothing we can do. But my fundamental belief is that we all can do something. Like There is no reason not to improve our lives for ourselves and for our children. And or whether it's our children or for others' children, I don't have it in my belief that there is any other way than to 
continue to push for change and protection for everyone. If it's not even our children, it's for our animals, the the cute animals, the birds, whatever it may be. I think there is absolutely no reason for us not to think that we can't change. And although you won't be there yourself, your organization will have a presence in Glasgow at COP26, your Chilean body. Yes, and they are there because of the work that they've done for the Chilean Plastic Pact and really pushing through a single-use plastic ban countrywide and the importance of really informing communities and consumers on the importance of banning single-use plastics and pushing towards the producer responsibility to minimize single-use plastics. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. And thank you as well, because I know that when we started, it was 6am your time. And although you might be an early bird, it was still really kind of you to be podcast ready at six o'clock in the morning. So thank you, Julie. It's been amazing. Really enjoyed chatting to you and really inspiring too. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. And it's such an amazing opportunity to be able to share with others and hope that others can join aboard. They can always join with Plastic Oceans, Plastic oceans.org to get involved. We're always looking for new people and new ways to spread the word. You're doing really well with it. And you've certainly made me feel that we really all can make a difference. And although we try in our household, there's definitely more we can do. So thank you for such an inspiring chat. And we'll share the podcast with you so you can share it with everybody who follows you. And it's a brilliant site. I mean, I haven't looked at your other social media, but Instagram is really inspiring. And the pictures you use and the projects you're involved in are really commendable. So congratulations for what you've done so far and don't don't give up. Keep 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 working hard. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Julie Anderson, CEO of Plastic Oceans International, sharing some of the shocking statistics around single-use plastic and hopefully inspiring all of us to do more to help the health of our planet and our oceans. Don't forget to download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts or just ask Alexa. I'll be back next week with another great guest. I do hope you'll join me then. So bye for now. 